Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technologies. I am your host, Tasha Zaitz, and today we are going to India. This episode is a part of the short series about digital health in Asia. In the first episode, you could get a broad overview of the region with Julian de Salaberry, CEO and founder of Gallon Growth Asia. Here's what he said about India. So we're watching India very carefully. We saw uh, some really interesting investment behavior last year. What we are seeing is certainly a, a very buoyant innovation sector. By our best mapping of the ecosystem, uh, I would say that India care or digital health ecosystem is as big, if not slightly bigger than China. It just attracts far less funding. In fact, it's in the order of uh, one to 10 almost. For every $1 invested in India, about $10 are invested in China to give you a flavor. The, the, the interesting thing we've noted is that um, there's been a bit of a slowdown in the level of investment in, um, in India in the past, uh, let's say, six months. But we attribute that to the, the, the kind of unknowns that were connected with the recent general election. Now that that's behind, they move forward with Modi, that we should start seeing some greater momentum building up in India uh, due to confidence and I guess more stability and predictability. But hopefully we'll start seeing technology grow really through directives and support from the government as relates to the implementation of what is now called Modi Care, which is essentially the beginnings of a universal health care for India. I'm sure you'll uh, agree with me that the only way that will be achieved in any as a cost-effective and, uh, and speedy uh, way will be through the greater adoption and use of technology. India has roughly the same population as China, 1.4 billion people, which is more than the US and Europe combined. You can learn about China through the discussion I had with Julie Wang in the second episode of the series. I spoke about India with Sunil Anand and Kartik Dar from Project ECHO. Project ECHO is a global model revolutionizing medical education with the aim of touching the lives of 1 billion people by 2025. As you will hear, the project works by connecting doctors on local levels to allow them to share their real cases from clinical practice and address them through latest treatment guidelines. If anyone, India is in dire need to increase access to quality healthcare. According to WHO, the density of doctors of all types, so allopathic, ayurvedic, unani and homeopathic, was 80 doctors per 100,000 in 2001, which is basically 80 doctors per 10,000 people, and the density of nurses was 6.1 nurses per 10,000 people. So let's hear what is India doing to improve healthcare access. Enjoy the show and do subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified about the episodes about Singapore and South Korea automatically. Digital health is improving around the world. Uh, India is accepting various policies to improve healthcare for the broadest possible population. And I would like to start with a little bit of your reflection regarding the healthcare systems and health management in India. Uh, Sunil, I'll, I'll take this one. Indian healthcare system is really uh, delivered by two organizations, the government and the private. 
Currently, most of the healthcare is delivered by the private sector. I would say 70 to 75% of his healthcare deliveries in the private sector. The rest by the government. But the primary healthcare as well as healthcare in the rural areas is basically the responsibility and under the government. Now, the government has the central government and the state government. The central government makes the policy, but the delivery of healthcare is a state subject. So the states are responsible for that. Uh, obviously, the private sector is uh, a little more active in the major towns and the healthcare delivery is superb. In the metro towns, for example, I think it's comparable to anywhere else in the world. But as you move from major towns into smaller towns, yes, the healthcare delivery is not that good. But over time, this has improved and more and more towns are coming under good healthcare delivery segment. Last year, the president Narendra Modi announced the so-called or what is now known as Modicare, uh, a system where the poorest population would get in health insurance because uh, to a lot of people in India, healthcare is inaccessible because it's too expensive. And according to some estimates, uh, 60% of family expenditure goes to uh, healthcare. When this news came out last year, uh, it was, of course, uh, huge around the, the world. How did you see it? Some, some political opponent, opponents uh, marked this move as just a political um, scam. I think they call it a political scam because of the elections. Last year itself, the government took on this a very ambitious program of ensuring 500 million Indians. That's almost 45% of the Indian population. And now they say 75% of the Indian population to be covered under the state health care schemes. That means the states and the government will pay the premium and insurance companies will pick up the tab. And this delivery now can be done both in the government segment as well as the private segment. The Indian healthcare system needs this. Remember, like you rightly said, if 60% of the money is out, paid to be out of pocket, out of you know the money that people uh, use for healthcare, is unacceptable on a long-term basis. Uh, in some states, 50% of the population, people who go for treatment go below the poverty line because of that. So there is a definite need for this. So the Modi care really addresses the healthcare delivery to the poor people. That is today, like I said, 45%. Now they're wanting to make it 75% of the population to be covered. The problem is not, I think, in the uh, thought process. I think the problem is more in the fear of delivery. How are you going to deliver such huge health care to people with the infrastructure that exists. Remember, India spends very little of the GDP on health, 1% to 2%. So that's, I think the politicians were more concerned on raising it, one, because elections are there, they have got to criticize. And two is that it is actually an operational challenge. It's not easy to build the capacity in the entire public health care system to cater to such a large population joining health care. So that's where the criticism really comes from. But in my view, it can yeah. be done. Uh, a recent development that has taken place, and uh, a little bit I'll have to explain why. The public healthcare system, you know, other than the government hospitals, there were a lot of branches of the government that had their own hospitals. For example, the entire armed forces have their own hospitals. The railways have their hospitals. The blue-collar workers have their what they call employment, employee state insurance schemes. Now, all these schemes are being merged under one as you call it, Modi care. When that happens, the capacity of all these hospitals come under the government now. And therefore, the capacity 
is likely, not likely, is going to increase dramatically because of this one move that he's made. He is working on the building the capacity as well as, you know, just paying the premium. So it, it should happen. Yes, it's a tough task, but it will happen. Uh, one of the challenges if the demand for healthcare services is about to increase is the fact that uh, you can't increase the number of uh, healthcare workers as fast as you can uh, implement policy. India has a very, very low number of uh, uh, doctors per population. A few years ago, it was below one doctor per thousand people. The, the figure really is uh, the WHO recommends one doctor per thousand, but in India it is about one to every seven thousand, and if you divide it further into government, is even worse. So there is no doubt that doctor ratio or the nurse to patient ratio or the hospital beds to uh, patient ratio uh, population rather is actually dismal. No doubt about that. But what is really going to happen here is that a lot of move has been made into task shifting. A lot of the work can be done by nurses, can be done by the community healthcare workers or can be done by the general practitioners as we call them in India. Specialists are really even worse, the ratio is even worse. So more and more uh, decentralization of care needs to take place. Let me give an example. If you go to the rural India, a lot of people move from remote areas to major towns for care because care is not available in the rural area. That's one. Whether it's uh, the doctor or the medicines is not available. This Modi care actually is doing just that and addressing it at the root cause. To give in, uh, an idea of the uh, government healthcare system, for every 5,000 population, we have a physical structure called the sub-center. For every 20,000 population, there's a primary healthcare center. And then for 100,000, a community healthcare system, then a district hospital, and then of course, the major medical colleges and tertiary care hospitals. So the capacity is now being built right from the grassroots. That means medical centers that look after 20,000 population that is being converted to what we now call as the health and wellness centers where a lot of these population will first go there, be treated for basic or at least be worked up and then moved up the chain. That's how you will build capacity. Also remember, for every 1,000 population, there is a community healthcare worker called the ASHA worker whose job is advocacy. Then you've got uh, auxiliary nurse, midwives and other community health workers to help them. Government is building capacity in this population or this healthcare workers and therefore it's likely to rise a lot more than uh, you know to overcome the shortage. And last, please do understand that just because we do this does not mean that everything improves dramatically. It will happen over a period of time, but I think the government is in the right direction. In the health tech sense, uh, India is the second largest uh, market in uh, Asia. 500 uh, billion were um, invested in India last year. What do you think about the potential of technology in this space? 24% of people in India own uh, smartphones. And you can look at that data from two perspectives. In, in one sense, it's uh, more than 300 million million people then in in from the other perspective from the perspective of india as a country this means that 80% of people either don't have mobile phones or have mobile phones that are not smartphones to spread digital and technology across you need two things one of course is either the uh, 4g 
system or the broadband. The government is working to improve that and I must admit over the last two years there has been a dramatic increase in the penetration of broadband and 4G across the country. Just for your information, the number of active cell phones, smart and non-smart, is over a billion. So it's not 500,000, uh, 500 million. Probably more number of cell phones in this country than there is population. That's the last government figure they came out. And 90% of them are active, which means if you ring the number, a phone will ring. The penetration of smartphones is increasing. Yes, it's at 24 or 30%, I'm not sure. But that's where it is. And as slowly we move on, this is increasing and the government is now actually given, giving uh, these tablets to a, the increasing number of healthcare providers. All the primary healthcare centers, which I said, which are 20,000 population, the infrastructure is being, has computers and has uh, the infrastructure to connect to broadband. So even the uh, community health workers that are in the periphery, all they have to travel is about two miles, maximum three miles to come to a center once or twice a week to get on to uh, upload or learn from the digital or benefit from the digital infrastructure. Uh, the broadband penetration is really increasing rapidly. Two years we've seen a dramatic increase in the uh, utilization and spread of broadband. 4G of course, other than small areas in the hill region in the northeast, we have no problem with cell phone connectivity. So the infrastructure is there and dramatically improving. So you will see the digital spread pretty quick. And remember, a lot of them who are not connected are on these tablets which are offline. So when they come to the center, which is only two miles away, it all gets uploaded. I know for a fact that all the 700 odd hospitals that are the blue collar workers, ESI hospitals, upload that data every day of every patient. So it is happening. So let's not just to say 24% penetration is a fact, but will it hamper uh, digitization? Yes, it will, but there are ways around it and the government is working and in fact the private sector has jumped in as well to help that. So it will grow. So ECHO is trying to connect medical professionals around the world. How widespread is ECHO in India? Uh, first to explain how widely it is spread. ECHO came to India 2008, but because technology was not up, work really started when broadband became available to a reasonable extent. Today, it is spread very widely right across the country with over 30 programs running in various diseases like mental health, hepatitis, liver diseases, cancer screening, cancer treatment, palliative care, tuberculosis. And now we are the platform of choice in the government for better management of tuberculosis across the country. We are the platform of choice for the National Viral Hepatitis Control Program, the National Vector Borne Disease Control Program tuberculosis, cancer screening, and of course, the big one, the Modi care that you refer to, where it is the responsibility of ECHO to build capacity in the entire public health care system over the next five years, which includes, you know, those 150,000 of these health and wellness centers I mentioned earlier, where we need to build capacity in them so that more patients can be treated. So uh, ECHO today is right across the spectrum with private providers, private hospitals joining in, non-government organizations or NGOs, and of course, the central and state governments. We, we are the platform of choice right across, I would use the word, almost the default platform for capacity building in the Indian healthcare system. How it really works is, 
look at it from a healthcare provider's point of view. Today, with knowledge increasing exponentially and new and new uh, methodologies and new technologies coming in, the person sitting in the peripheral area is really cut off from all that knowledge and whatever problems they have cannot be addressed on a day-to-day -day basis. Their problems are not addressed. All patients, of course, don't need specialized care. But most patients, let's say diabetes or heart disease, do need to get some expert opinion occasionally. Now, that is not currently available. So what ECHO does is it ties academic institutions of repute to these centers in batches of, let's say, 25 to 30 and has these ECHO clinics where these are sessions where the problem and the guidelines are addressed. The problem of the, you know, the doctor or whoever is joining is his address, his problem is addressed. So it's a very periodic, uh, systematic clinic, let's say, every, every week for an hour where people come in, they join, they make their uh, case presentations, there's an interactive discussion, their problems are addressed, and while one person is presenting and learning, all the other people are learning along with that case. So you bring one case, but learn from many. Likewise, see, guidelines keep changing. To keep abreast with guidelines is a problem. Earlier, they were traveling to, let's say, their hospital once in a year to get a lecture. By the time they went back and started to implement it, something new had come up or the guideline had changed and they were not being able to keep up with it. ECHO solves that problem. So how prepared do, do doctors come to these meetings and how do you spread the word about the project? These are all, like I said, all structured programs. When the need, let's say, in a region or the government or the institution comes to us and says, this is the need of the day, the word is then put out to these participants that this echo clinic is being on this topic, who all would like to participate, a basic curriculum is given as to what all they'll teach. All of them are registered and every week, or let's say if the clinic is every week, they will get an email or information out that next week's clinic is on so-and-so time, this is the topic, this is the didactic and these are the cases to be presented. All that is sent to them in advance so that they, they pre as a pre-read, and they come prepared for the session. During that session, it's the academic center that actually modulates it well so that it's an interactive session and the person's queries are answered. And so therefore, most of the clinic, I would say 75% of the clinic is a two-way traffic where discussions take place. Only you know, about 10 minutes or maximum 15 minutes is given for a didactic on a particular topic. It may just be new guidelines that have come. So it's a very interactive session that takes place periodically. So it's a low dose, high frequency method of disseminating knowledge, but more than knowledge, solving the problem that the healthcare provider has in the field today. How, how many doctors usually participate in one meeting? Theoretically, I mean in hundreds, but we do not recommend that. We actually say not more than 25 or maximum 30 doctors should be in a clinic because if the number rises higher, then a two-way traffic or an interactive session is very difficult. Look at it this way. If there were 500, which it, uh, my platform allows, if 500 different doctors li uh, lined up virtually, my chance of asking a question is very, very remote. So if you have 20, 25, a good discussion can happen. So each program will have 25 to 30 participants. Now, sometimes at one site, there may be more than one doctor or so, but the number normally is 25 to 30 is what we recommend. 
and so most of our clinics are within that bracket. So how do you expand the number of the groups? That's done in two ways. One, remember, because it's a hub and spoke program, right? Now, what you need, you've got a lot more learners, so you run more programs. For example, the one we started with, the National Institute of Mental Health, today runs nine programs. So every week or every day, there are one or two programs of them running by different people. The cancer people run seven. The ophthalmology people, five. So the number of programs are increased to cater to uh, more and more people. What ECHO really does is it does not treat patients. It trains providers. Now, if a provider is joined for a period of time, he or she then, because they're more in the waiting list, they drop out and more and somebody else new will join in. So the programs are continuous. I mean, for example, the hepatitis C program that's running in uh, the United States is running continuously from 2003 to today. And when one person learns, then he or she continues to treat patients outside the ECHO clinic as well. Remember that. So therefore, the number of patients that are treated is exponential. He or they can come back into the clinic if they have a query or some new development has taken place. So A, you increase the number of programs. Two, you increase the number of hubs. Now, mental health, it used to be Nimans out of Bangalore. Now it is the All India Institute also as that is joint in and running its own many programs. So that's how you do. You increase the hubs, you increase the number of programs, but you keep the number of learners almost constant to 2025. How do you choose new topics that the programs will cover? You already mentioned a few. Perhaps you can mention uh, more that are active in, in India. It, uh, typically, what uh, as ECHO, what we do is we have two streams. One is called the strategic. So we look at diseases that really affect a large number of people. And the, the, size, the societal impact is very large. For example, hepatitis has millions of patients. Tuberculosis has much less, but it impacts society very deeply. So what we have done in India is we've chosen tuberculosis, mental health and hepatitis to be the three main uh, things that we will focus on and look for more and more and more partners. Yes, the government has given us the Modi care part of it, which itself is more than the, all three of them. So these are the four that we strategically focus on, but the rest of them are organic. For example, uh, cancer screening requirement will come. Then we build a clinic around cancer screening. We build around palliative care. We've built around, you know, uh, childhood disabilities, right? Or autism. We pick these topics up. So we have more than 15 topics being covered today and, and so many more programs and hubs coming up. So strategically is where we think organic is what the demand from the various institutions come and we cater to that. The Indian government also has an ambitious plan to provide electronic healthcare records for uh, everyone. Kartik, I wanted to get your opinion uh, regarding this project because India does have 1.3 billion people and anyone working in the healthcare IT knows that electronic healthcare records are a huge uh, undertake to to get into. Uh, Project ECHO is a lifelong learning and guided practice model that revolutionizes medical education. And basically what you're trying to achieve with ECHO is uh, create this global community with the goal to touch 1 billion lives by 2025. And Kartik, one of your roles is uh, basically to 
uh, plan and conceptualize the platform that would support this goal. So I'm, I'm sure you have a few thoughts about uh, how demanding it is to spread on such a uh, wide population of, of people. India, I think, has taken the lead at a global level when it comes to uh, digitizing and taking everything from a platform perspective. The first uh, implementation of this was the Aadhaar project, which was the uh, national identity project where we have 1.3 billion Indians who have a, a digital identity. And this is, of course, an identity which can be reused across uh, various other uh, applications. A big application of this currently is, which has already been in play, is in finance, where we have the unified payments interface, for example, which the government has created an interface for interoperability standards in uh, in payments. And cu currently, the uh, the UPI payments have act in India have uh, uh, have overtaken American Express at a global scale. So that gives you an idea of you know the scale of the opportunity that we're talking about, and. I think that when it comes to healthcare, a similar approach definitely is possible. And the central government uh, think tank, which is called the Niti Aayog, uh, uh, made last year uh, unveiled a blueprint, which is called the National Health Stack, which is a, a very ambitious plan for you know creating interoperability standards and data sharing across various entities in the ecosystem. Um, that includes. Uh, electronic health records that includes health analytics uh, and you know the coverage and claims platform that is the uh, part of the Modi Care uh, umbrella as well as well as Echo which we are looking to plug in as part of a platform for upskilling of these health practitioners but essentially taking an integrated approach to data where whereby we are working off a same uh, data set of um, registries which basically can power the entire infrastructure around it it is a long-term and very ambitious undertaking but we have to uh, we have shown that in india like we've seen with the uh, payments uh, interface it is possible to implement something at scale when it comes to health records it is much more challenging, yes, because uh, there is a lot of uh, fragmentation in the ecosystem and uh, a lot of the system still data are also paper driven. So in a way, that is also an opportunity because it's in a way, it's easier to digitize something uh, which is, you know, paper based versus, you know, getting hospitals to change their systems and adopt a new system because that friction becomes much more so. I think over time, um, the government is going to be working on this and we are going to be working very closely with them as well as part of this digitization effort. If you look at other countries, uh, in many cases, electronic health records um, brought a lot of burden to, to the doctors. And um, some electronic healthcare record providers even established back offices in India for um, scribes. So for uh, workers that basically listen to the discussion that the, the doctors have and then um, transfer the information from the medical appointment to electronic health records so that doctors in the West don't have to do that because this gives additional hours of work to uh, input the data in the systems. So how do you do you see the whole digitization that's still coming to, to India and how um, potentially problematic could it be for, for the doctors? The Developed countries, uh, honestly, have not really implemented EHRs in the right way. I think the US is probably the best example of that. Like EHRs have become more of a burden on the 
doctors than a way of simplifying it. So I think the approach that uh, India needs to take on EHRs has to be very much uh, focused not only from a data point of view, but focused more from a usability perspective and understanding uh, how we can work well in the um, confines of limited time of the doctors as well as making sure that the data privacy and protection is also maintained. So part of the uh, national health stack is a vision for um, personal health records which will essentially be owned by the patients themselves and that can be you know interoperable between uh, various institutions and uh, the data input mechanisms will of course also be streamlined and uh, rather than having 10 different incompatible data formats, there will be one data format which will serve as like an interoperability standard. When it comes to overall digitization in general, I think uh, there's a lot of opportunity and uh, it is possible to do things right at this stage because we are today in an era of you know much better connectivity. We have global uh, uh, connectivity, we have uh, internet, of course we have smartphones and the opportunity both in terms of just you know uh, building say software for diagnosis or e-learning which is where echo is taking part but even things like testing or uh, online consultations there are a lot of technology companies and startups in india who are trying to tackle this problem because today we have a very unique uh, perspective where in india and of course globally as well a lot of people are coming online for the first time and now this is giving people a new access to uh, technology data and opportunity to, to, to do something really different so i think that's why we've seen a very significant growth over the last couple of years it's an amalgamation of all of these trends sort of coming together at once and also i think at the same time the government has, having really pushed um, healthcare as a, as a major agenda point has also you know catalyzed that but at the same time we need to be cognizant of making sure that the digitization is not a burden on the provider because uh, we've also seen that for example the asha workers they have uh, a lot of they have these tablets of course uh, for data collection but there's so many apps which these uh, asha workers have to fill up that you know the, it ends up becoming that the worker becomes burdened with just having to do so much data entry that they don't have you know time to do anything else and in the case of the doctors it's even worse so in terms of designing systems uh, we have to be very very co uh, cognizant of using a human-centered design approach in building the next generation of digital tools and platforms and that is what we are doing at echo as well based on the mistakes that were made in the west with electronic health records and digitization um, what's your expectation of technologies and um, how to use them differently or how to use uh, other technologies that are uh, only entering the market such as uh, voice recognition systems to improve healthcare i think one general theme which we have to understand is we need to be very cognizant of the way in which doctors treat their patients and work around that approach and not try to change the fundamental doctor patient relationship and the behavior of the doctors themselves i think that is one mistake which the west uh, has made in like designing like data entry systems which were not really uh, keeping in mind the relationships between the doctor and the patient because that is the most important thing and rather than that if you try to change people's behavior fundamentally then it will not work it we have to work within 
the how people are interacting so for example voice recognition uh, could play a big role in this in how doctors and a patient are talking to each other and help the doctor in, during the process in uh, you know tracking various data points etc and even just overall because there will be a central integrated uh, data repository like things like the patient uh, Uh, say vitals or their uh, history and all of these things will be directly accessible through a integrated data fiduciary network um, it will reduce the amount of data entry so we have to be very careful but at the same time it's very exciting that we have all of these uh, technologies and including artificial intelligence and machine learning as well which can play a big role in uh, making sure that we uh, don't create a burden for the uh, the participants and the uh, healthcare providers On a daily basis, do you see any interesting innovations that are spreading throughout India in the in the digital health sense? I mean, there are a lot of uh, startups which are trying to solve um, health problems. I think one of the interesting ones and a general trend uh, these days is shifting away from the English language and focusing more on vernacular languages, both you know for content uh, and uh, other things as well. So we are. of course echo is also taking on this very fundamental multilingual approach to all of the uh, the the platform and the technologies that we are building but we have seen a few startups who have basically taken the uh, whole approach of uh, you know providing healthcare to the next level of uh, indians who don't speak english and uh, provide you know content and other uh, services in their local languages so i think that's a big trend which has come up recently and um, along with that i think uh, there are uh, several companies and uh, startups who have been experimenting with use of ai and ml in uh, consultation even in mental health there have been a few um, companies who have uh, looked at you know innovative models around um, just e consultation for various uh, mental health issues through you know machine learning technologies to basically bridge the gap because people may not always have access to a counselor or may not be able to afford a counselor mm-hmm. but uh, um uh, an artificial intelligence or machine learning enabled system can help bridge that to some extent so there are a few startups who are doing some interesting work in this space um, along with echo as well of course yeah and this is dr anand i don't see so much penetration of you know medical apps really into this country or acceptance of it loads of them are building it i can uh, you know i can look back and say so many people are trying but i don't see a very good penetration of healthcare apps or digital apps in this country currently subsequently i don't know but at the moment the penetration is very very poor why do you think there is maybe the answer is because blood tests and all are available so cheap and available everywhere i mean why would i want to use an app second remember you you yourself saying 24% of the population's got smartphones another app they using it for lifestyle you know all the fitbit sort of stuff loads of that is there measuring calorie count measuring obesity but i've not seen much of penetration of the apps itself and i A, I don't know if they have even verified. A lot of people, you know, tried this ECG. I remember that uh, one app that came for ECG. It was so inaccurate that you know doctors would just disregard that. So why would you want to do a, an ECG where uh, people are not going to believe in it? There are too many uh, variables, and especially such uh, technology in the hands of patients. In my view, actually, primary is not a very good idea. Sure, measuring glucose instead from a glucometer might be good. but ecgs and stuff like that i think is 
in the hands of patients is is not going to fly I, that's my personal opinion and i am not sure about the penetration globally is but in india it's is not penetrated at all where do you see the the largest potential of uh, apps or mobile solutions to support the indian healthcare system what i'm seeing there are a number of apps i've seen for mental health is self help groups that's where i think some people are showing some success where you know the app itself allows you to talk with of course all permissions put in for self help groups in mental health i've seen that i've seen a little acceptance i don't know the legality of it all but uh, uh, that's that's one area that i've seen you know the self help groups self discussions these block sort of stuff that that might succeed um, the the legality is really if it's on my platform what's what's the legal implications i have if the advice given on my platform by a self help group goes wrong that's one uh, you know discussion i've had with the people that made this mental health care app they of course people are using digital health care for consultation purposes but that's not in the treatment realm by patient uh, you know to a peripheral doctor is more institution to a institution trying to reduce his load by getting to digital technology but upwise i've not seen a penetration in that either we are, we are building a system by which a lot of learning can occur outside well within the echo platform with without our direct involvement for example a lot of learning videos um, for example we've got what three years the tuberculosis program is running we have so much of content on it that currently people have got to come to us so we are forming a system whereby people can go find it themselves view it themselves remember being in public good there's no business plan in it so you know it's all free so that all uh, we are working on i'm sure such things will exist with a lot of other programs i was referring more to patient centric apps being utilized you know under the digital space that is is very poor penetration very poor indeed from the statistical perspective could you perhaps name any uh, numbers regarding the impact of echo in india the reference i can give you is where the government publishes remember as the uh, echo model we train providers we have no mechanism of collecting public data but here is what was published and it's it's on the website is we have a state in the north of punjab uh, so north of india called punjab because of many reasons there's a lot of hepatitis c prevalent so 600000 people are you know tested and said to need treatment the treatment earlier days was very complicated so the premier institute that was the only one treating it was treating only 1200 to 1500 of them now with 600000 load 25 to 30000 new entrants per year and 1500 being treated is not going to happen so the state government along with a lot of partners set up a very nice system for example the ngos would go for advocacy people jumped in with you know much cheaper testing drugs became extremely cheap but how would you get more and more patients treated so what echo did was we connected 22 of the district hospitals the government district hospitals and three government medical colleges and ran an echo clinic out of the the same premier institute that was treating 1500 in 2 years the number of patients that got treated at the district hospital level increased to 65000 so they've treated more than 65000 patients in the peripheral hospitals now that's a success story a couple of things happened in addition one was that because of the low dose high frequency method doctors treated their patients more and more on their own without referring it back so the prescription pattern changed the referral pattern changed the number of patients that got treated 
has increased dramatically. That statistics and subdivided into groups is actually available on the website. So that's one story that we can actually publish and say these are authentic government figures. So, What's your vision regarding the development of ECHO in India in the next five to ten years? According to our calculation, I mean, our, our job, if you have to touch a billion lives by 2025, about 400 of them have got to come from India. Remember, to get such large volume of uh, or touch the lives of so many people, it's the government programs that uh, that will give us the numbers, not the private, the government. Now, if I'm part of such large government programs, so our, our strategy really is to get into the what we call as the water supply system of the government, be the default you know, method of building capacity in the country. In the government, we have all the uh, letters and agreements in place where we have, we are rather the platform of choice. So we do see that we will be able to touch, you know, 400 million lives in five years. Do you have an estimate of the number of uh, doctors that have joined your educational programs uh, so far? I, I know that Nimans alone, uh, that one institution, the last figure they gave me was 2,900 people trained for mental health diseases. So by, and now with 26 programs, the number of uh, doctors is much, much higher. But uh, the other thing to remember about ECHO is Though we train providers, the number of patients the provider sees is much, much larger than what you see in the West. Uh, the government figure. Remember I mentioned about the ASHA workers, right? The community health worker in the periphery. She, there are 1.3 million of them across the country. One million I know of the, you know, the pay scale. So you, let's just, for calculation sake, say 1 million ASHA workers. The government figure is in the five years She'll touch the life of 700 population. Now, whether it's antenatal care or vaccination or nutrition or etc., that's the scale. So she alone will cover that much population. So those are the numbers that you need to train. Even if we train 5% of them every year, so 30, 32% of them over seven years, six and a half years, the numbers can be reached. You're you're making progress fast, I'd say. Yes, it is. Uh, it, I mean, uh, the growth of ECHO in this country has been exponential. Remember, though we started in 2008, this is where we are. In, when we started in 2015 with one program, 2016-17 is where we got the money and it's been adopted so rapidly simply because there was a tremendous need for it and inf Indian infrastructure exists to absorb ECHO. This was the third part of the short series about digital health in Asia. In the next episode, you will get to know Singapore with investor, advisor and novelist Tony Estrella, who also shares his knowledge about the Asia region more broadly and presented his recently published book Comatose.